I have to access it through this the web. This meeting is being recorded. What's up? So What's up? I have to access Zoom through the web. I, it's not like a program, so that's why I changed my name just because I could. <laughs> now, do you use that at uh, school? Um, you know what? I I always change it to I just put Dina. I just put Miss Dina because I have a friend here that calls me that. <laughs> yeah, we don't use Zoom. We use Google because okay. it doesn't work on a um, a Chromebook anymore. Okay. Well. Yeah, I know that they're always changing things and such, but uh, uh, well, praise the Lord. Well, we're glad to have you, and Elise, good to have you tonight. Bless the Lord. It's good to be here too, Pastor. And I think Doug and Kathy there, praise the Lord, we'll give... Everybody, a few. It's seven oh one. Hate to get rolling here before we have most everybody, but uh, how's it? Was it warm out in uh, Montana today, Portland? Oh yeah, it's it's hot. I was very picking out in that hot sun. <laughs> yeah, well, it's pretty warm over here, but it's dry and it's cool in the shade, so. Pastor Monty, we have a friend that wants to say hi. Say hi. Hi. Hello there. How you doing? Good. <laughs> Good to have you. Praise the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah, I know it's, uh, well, anyway, it's summer and it's uh, good. It's good what we're experiencing as far as warm weather. I like that more than the cold that's for sure amen to that amen but uh was it hot out in montana today elise it was warm uh the day before it was uh uh, like 97 degrees today is a tiny bit cooler yeah yeah we're gonna have some fluctuation here but it's it's all good it's just matter of uh you know, every day is a little bit different. But, uh, well, I want to go ahead and get right into what we're going to be sharing here tonight. And I know others will be joining in. But, Father, as we come to you once again tonight in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We thank you tonight, Father, for fresh utterance. We thank you, Father God, for giving us insight by the Spirit of God. And we thank you tonight for teaching us things that we don't know, and that, uh, Lord, will go to a greater and higher level in the faith life. And we thank you for that today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, I want you to turn in your Bibles tonight once again to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. <clears throat> and I want to pick up on something here while we, we left off with last week in this series we're doing on the power of saying, the power of saying. I want to read again here, starting in verse 8, 1 Peter 5. And we want to notice here some things in particular, and we'll call those out as we go. But verse 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, get that, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, the God of all grace, notice that, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we have here Peter calling out something that he was familiar with because after all, the Lord told him that he was going to deny him three times, three times. The rooster was going to crow three times and he was going to deny the Lord. And guess what happened? 
he denied the Lord. And he knew that it was Satan working in his life. The Lord had prayed for him and said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you return, strengthen the brethren. Well, this is a strengthening that he's given us here in the Holy Word by telling us about the encounter that we're going to have with our adversary, who is the devil. Now, again, the devil's been legally defeated. So we have to remember that when we read the Bible. But what Peter is bringing out here is that there is a soberness, there is a vigilance, there is an awareness that we need to have about what he's up to, and he's up to no good. He's up to only to steal, to kill, and destroy in our lives. And we have to be aware of that. We have to be cognizant of that and know that all the days of our life to have an overcoming life here in this world, because the devil is relentless. And even though he is a legally defeated foe, we still have to keep him in his place, which is underneath our feet. Amen. And it's important for us to realize the fact that a victory gained today can be lost tomorrow if we're not careful about doing the right things and being aware of putting him in his place. We're reminded of the scripture there in Matthew and again in Luke to where Jesus, when he went into the wilderness and he was tempted of the devil, how that he, in his encounters with the devil, always answered the devil with the written word of God. That's why it's important for us to know the word of God so that when these things come to us and stand against us, that we have to, as believers, be resolute in knowing who our adversary is. Amen. And it's important for us to realize that every single day. So when he says here, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary or your opponent, the devil, as a roaring lion, he doesn't say that he is a roaring lion. He says, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour seeking whom he may devour. So his MO every day is to try to devour our lives. This is something that we should not be afraid of, but rather be aware of so that that we can resolutely, steadfastly resist him and what he's trying to do in our lives and in our families. So as he goes about as a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour, he's on the prowl. And when the Bible says there in verse 9, who resists steadfast in the faith, whom resists steadfast in the faith, we have to realize the fact that we can stay in faith by relentlessly resisting him when he's coming our way. Now, we're going to do this primarily, not only, but primarily through the power of saying. That's why we're looking at this in detail. And then as the scripture goes on to say there in verse 10, that the God of all grace, who has called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Well, we become more and more settled in the truth of God, the longer we walk with God and the more victories that we see. When we look back in our life and call to remembrance what the Lord has previously done in giving us victory over Satan, over the works of the devil and what he's trying to do in our life, when we see victory by answered prayer, when we see uh, Jesus and that name that's above every name being used to put him to flight, we're gaining ground, but also we're proving out the very track record of God's faithfulness. Because as the Bible says there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. So we can prove out the word of God and the word of God working every single time. But again, primarily how we're going to prove this out is in the initial process 
and stage of things in life, in the life of faith as a believer, is by the words that we speak, by being relentless in holding fast to what God has said. That's why we're looking at this. But we see there in Peter, what he said there, we need to be vigilant and be sober about it. In other words, we need to stay on top of things to know that the devil's only trying to steal, kill, and destroy from us. But thanks be to God, it's he who gives us the victory, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So praise God for that. Now, I want you to look at another scripture here before we go to Matthew chapter 8. I want you to look again. We've looked at this once. Psalm 107 verse 20. Psalm 107 verse 20. And I want you to notice in this particular verse, in verse 20, and we've read this whole section here in a previous session, and it's it's all good. We, if, For time's sake, we won't go back and read it. But you notice here in verse 20, it says, he sent his word and healed them. He sent his word and healed them and did what? And delivered them from their destructions. So how did they get deliverance? He was talking here about the children of Israel, which is true to us today in 2022. But how did he send deliverance? How did he send healing? He sent it through his word. In other words, God spoke his word, and because he spoke his word, it became their very healing. It became their very deliverance. And it will be the same for us today if we allow that to be on our tongue and us, ourselves, because we've been given the authority to release God's authority here as a New Testament believer. So I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. He sent his word and healed them. He sent his word. The healing came because the word was sent. The deliverance came because the word was sent. Now, how is that going to happen for us today? Yes, indeed, he has already sent his word. He's given it to us in the form of the Bible, the written word of God. Jesus spoke to the devil, and what did he speak? He spoke the written word, all right? Now, he gave us an example of which we're to follow to this very day. He sent his word. We send God's word into the places it needs to go, whether that is in our physical body, in to our home, into our job, into our business, whatever it may be, but we send it on and through our tongue because it's in our heart. Now, let's turn to Matthew chapter 8, and let's look here very carefully at, as we're looking at the power of saying, the power of saying, we want to look here at this example that we're given about the centurion and his servant. We'll pick up reading here in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5. And it says here, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him. The word beseech means to implore or plead with in an earnest fashion. So he came to Jesus beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. So no doubt this servant of his was in real bad shape. And this centurion coming to the Lord came and told him the situation that was the plight of his servant's life. And as we go on and read in verse 7, Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. I will. Well, my brothers and sisters, that I will is etched in all of eternity and holds true today. The Lord still wants to come to our lives and infiltrate them with this healing, miracle-working power. And just as it was then, the Lord wants it to be now in your physical life. 
So he said, I will come and heal him. There was no further pleading on the centurion's part. There was no further discussion about it. Jesus, in coming to the knowledge about this man's servant, said immediately, I will come and heal him. That's still the Lord's will today. Immediately, when you come to the Lord, you say, Lord, I need a touch from you. I need healing. I need a miracle in my body. The Lord says the same thing to us today. I'll heal you. I'll heal you. But today we can look back where this man could not look back at the fullness of the plan of redemption because Jesus had not yet gone to Calvary. He had not yet went to the cross and died for our sins and carrying our diseases. So this centurion was going on the basis, coming to Jesus on what he had heard about the Lord and his healing power. Now, as we read on here, I want you to notice after the Lord said, I will come and heal him, verse 8, it says, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only. That's a good phrase to underline in your Bible if it isn't already. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. You notice here that the centurion, in his belief system at that point, even though he's in charge of many servants underneath him, he didn't feel that the Lord should come to his house because he didn't feel like he was worthy. Well, today, as a blood-bought child of God, the blood of Jesus, praise God, has made you worthy. He's been, he's made you worthy for Jesus to come to your house and heal you. He's made you worthy so that the Lord will come to your place, wherever you're at, and heal your physical body, praise God. So this man, this centurion, felt that he wasn't in a position of worthiness. But praise God again, the blood of Jesus has made us worthy. So he said, speak the word only. Speak the word only. Now I call to your attention what we just read there in Psalm 107, verse 20, where it says, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Deliverance is a great subject, a wide and vast subject. And it can be deliverance from sin. It can be deliverance from danger. But it is also inclusive of deliverance from the power and authority of Satan in our lives, specifically in our physical bodies. Praise God. So when it says he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions, the Lord sent that because he said that was what was going to come to pass. Now, in the New Testament, we've been given the authority because he's delegated to us the use of the mighty name of Jesus and the ability to stand against all of the wiles of the devil by putting him in his place. So this centurion said, speak the word only, speak the word only. So he was going to get Jesus to do something that we now have been commissioned to be able to do on our own, on the basis of the word of God. But let's back up here for a moment and look at this as we read it here in verse 8, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. So he knew that Jesus had the authority and the ability by the words he spoke to be able to effect a healing in his servant miles away. He knew that. He knew the power of words. And we're going to read about that here in verse 9. Notice what he goes on to say. He says, the centurion, for I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, now get that, he said, I say 
to this man, go and he goeth, and to another, come and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. So in other words, activity is spawned by whatever this centurion said to his servants. Whatever he said to his servants, his servants would do. And he used that in framing the reference to what he knew Jesus would do, and he had an understanding about the power of words. He used the power of words and what they would do in the natural when it came to telling his servants what to do, and then swung over to the words that he knew that Jesus could do from where he was at and affect a healing miracle in his servant's body and not even happen to physically be there. So he said, here, I tell him what to do, and that's what he does. And notice what Jesus said in verse 10. He said, and when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, go thy way. Notice that. He said unto the centurion, go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the self same hour. What I want you to notice here, particularly in verse 10, is this really caught Jesus's attention, that this man had a revelation about the power of words. He had it in his own life, and he knew what the power of words spoken by a certain person, namely the Lord Jesus, would do on behalf of his servant. And he, and Jesus, mind you, said in verse 10 that this was something he marveled at. In other words, he was astonished because he said, I've not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. In other words, here we have at the beginning of the Lord Jesus Christ's ministry, he takes pause to mention here that this is great faith. This is great faith. You just saw what great faith says. Great faith says something and believes something. Now, as we've already looked at, faith is recognized the type that works. I'm talking about faith in God now. As we read there, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, that we have the same spirit of faith. We believe something and we say something. Well, do you see how that is clearly seen here in this particular happening with the centurion? and the interaction that he had with the Lord Jesus Christ. So this man, this centurion, believed in the power of words. And as you read on here, that he said, go thy way in verse 13, and as thou hast believed. Well, how did Jesus know what this man believed? He knew what this man believed because of what he said. How do we know what we believe? How do we recognize and know for sure what we believe? I mentioned this a few weeks ago. What are you saying? What is pervasive on your tongue? What are you saying about yourself? What are you saying based on what God said about you? Because again, how do we locate ourselves? By what we say by what we specifically, repeatedly say. You see, whatever is in our heart is really what we're going to speak. As the Lord Jesus Christ said, he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So whatever we have in our heart, 
and our heart is the spirit of man, that is the production center. Whatever it is that we have in our heart, that is what's going to predominantly or be in our mouth and overtake what we say. All right? And this is exactly what the Lord said about the centurion, as thou hast believed. He didn't even mention here in verse 13 what he said. He said, what what you believed, as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And what was the results of what he believed? Well, his belief, what he believed, was released in the form of words. So what you believe is going to be released in the form of what you say. Now, again, let me reiterate for just a moment that our belief system in God, and I say belief system, as far as what do we systematically believe about God? Whatever it is, in whatever area of our life, is going to, first and foremostly, generally speaking, the corresponding action is going to be seen in what we say. That's why the power of saying is so significant. And again, as I mentioned here a few weeks ago, the devil will try to undermine and sabotage what we actually believe by getting us not to think much of importance of saying it. But the significance of saying it is very important because we looked at Mark 11, 23. The word believe is only found once in that verse when Jesus was talking about having faith in God. The faith that we have in God, which is what we believe about God, is going to be released in the power of words. Initially, and predominantly, more oftentimes than not. That doesn't mean that we don't ever have other corresponding actions, because we do. Many times we act our faith by trying to move our arm if our arm hasn't been able to be moved, or our fingers if they have been locked up with some condition, or something else. Maybe it's bending over. If some area of our body was not strengthened before we begin to believe. So we act our faith. Again, James said, faith without works is dead. And the works that he was talking about are corresponding actions. And the corresponding actions that we're going to have predominantly are going to come through the words we say. All right? So this man had what he believed. But how did Jesus locate what he believed? Through his communication with the Lord Jesus, communicating with him what he believed about what Jesus could do and would do through the Lord speaking over his servant. Now, that's an object lesson for us today as we look at the Word of God to see the power of words. This man had new authority and Jesus said that was great faith. So what is great faith? What does it do? What does it believe? Well, it believes in the spoken word of God. Great faith believes before it sees. Great faith has its substance or its belief rooted and grounded in the word of God. And it won't change. That's great faith. And that great faith is released by action. And the action is, I'm going to speak the word. Now, how would that translate to you and your physical body today? Well, sight unseen, you believe that you receive your healing or your miracle. You you don't feel any different. But on the basis of what you've come to see and realize through revelation by the Spirit of God about what God said belongs to you, you see by revelation that by his stripes you were healed. You begin to believe that. You take that in your heart. You side in with what God said, and you with simple childlike faith, believe it. What's going to start to come out of your spirit? Well, I believe that I receive healing. I believe that I receive healing. So I'm going to speak sight unseen over the situation, what I believe, 
and I believe I receive my healing. And what I believe is not based on how I feel at the moment or how I feel in five minutes or how I feel tomorrow morning when I get up or how I feel next week or a month from now or six months from now, because I believe that I received my healing and I'm believing apart from actual natural knowledge. That's important to realize. I believe apart from what I feel, what my physical senses are telling me. And this man here, this centurion, Jesus didn't have to come to his house. So what was he in expectation about? That when he got back home, that he was going to hear that his servant was healed. He was going to hear that his servant was healed. Praise God. Glory to God. Now, as we think about that, again, What did Jesus say? That's great faith. That's great faith. So many times people are strong in faith in, I'm talking about believers, and they don't realize it because they have not really given place to what they've received in their heart as the truth from God. So they don't release their faith for one reason or another. They don't begin to say, I believe that I receive, which is necessary in part in releasing your authority to claim the promises of God. So when we emphasize the saying part, we're emphasizing what we believe based on what God has already said. It doesn't change. When I say, I believe that I receive my healing, It's not based on anything but the revelation of what God said is already legally mine as a child of his. And you're to do the same thing as well as any other believer. Now, so you begin to believe that you receive. So when we begin to believe we receive, we say it with our mouth. Because confession proceeds possession. Confession proceeds possession. Yes, we possess it spiritually because of our legal rights and place in Christ. But to possess the land, to walk in health, we say it before we see it. We lay hold of it in our heart and with the words we speak before that we have the physical manifestation. Now, look over here at Mark chapter 5. We looked at this several weeks ago, but I want to look at this again. Mark chapter 5, and I want you to notice Mark chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 25. And we're going to look at a few things and how they go with this, what we just read there in Matthew 8 about the centurion. Again, this is the woman with the issue of blood. And it says here, a certain woman, verse 25, which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse when she had heard of Jesus. So how does faith come? By hearing and hearing and hearing. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment, for she said. You get that? For she said. What did she say? If I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. What was it she said? We just read that, right? Well, what she said is was her faith speaking. What we say is our faith speaking. Now, notice what happened after her faith was released in what she said. It says, and straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. So when is the having of healing? After the saying, which is precipitated because of what we believe. All right? So... Here she was healed 
But she had said in verse 28, again, what you say is your faith speaking. Whatever it is that you gravitate to, whatever you train yourself to begin to say, because you can actually even school yourself into faith and school yourself into a greater place of assurance because our faith can grow. Our faith, because Jesus talked about great faith, he talked about little faith, and he talked in another place about how is it that you have no faith. So faith is measurable, okay? So you can school yourself into faith, all right? But I want you to notice here that she had her healing after she said, after she said, if I may but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be well. Well, she had corresponding action, not just in what she said, but with her physical activity in pressing through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment. And that released the power of God. So her faith was revealed in word and action. And the word and action that she released was received by the Lord, and it activated the very power of God in her life. Praise God. Hallelujah. So if you read on here, down in verse 34, it says, Jesus said to her, daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Thy faith has made thee whole. Thy faith has made thee whole. Now, again, I point out to you, he didn't say it was his power that made her well. Although we know by reading this text here that virtue flowed out of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he didn't make reference and call to attention to that power other than to the fact that he felt virtue go out of him. And we read in the text here, that she felt in her body that she was healed. Well, he knew that somebody had made a demand upon his ability. But that demand of his ability was made because of the hand of faith. All right? But he says here, daughter, thy faith has made thee well. Well, what did we just read there in Matthew about the centurion? He said, go thy way as thou hast believed. Well, how did Jesus know what the centurion believed? Because of his words. What did Jesus say his word reflected about the centurion? That he had great faith. So great faith speaks what it believes. Great faith speaks what it believes and is not based on what it sees. That's great faith. And praise God, we all, because we've been born again, have a measure of that God kind of faith on the inside of us. But it can be increased. It can and should be increased. But it also must be activated to work. And that's what we're looking at here, the corresponding action, which is predominantly the power of saying, the power of saying from something we believe on the basis of what we believed, all right? Praise God. That is so awesome to see. So you can see very easily that when we speak the word of God, we speak words that we believe they flow and flow out of our heart through our mouth, that that's when faith is activated and that's when it receives the promises of God. Glory to God. Again, either you get the brakes or you put on the brakes when it comes to a child of God walking in the faith life. How do, God's created all the breaks, quote unquote, because sometimes people say, well, I just didn't have all the breaks somebody else did. Well, we really make it or break it as a Christian based on what we decide to do with the authority that we've got from God. So what are you going to decide to do? What am I going to decide to do based on what we know? The atmosphere, the surroundings, life situations are changed because of what we say. And what we say, when it's based on the Word of God, will reflect not only God's will, but it will 
manifest God's will in our life. Hallelujah. So what do you see? You need to see yourself healed. You need to see yourself prosperous. You need to see yourself as doing things that you perhaps could not do beforehand. Now, sometimes it's hard to have corresponding actions in the natural. If you've got something internal that really can't be manifest by you walking or jumping or running or bending over or something like that, well, your mouth is going to be a locator of what you believe. So you start calling yourself well. You start saying with your mouth, I, what you believe. All right. Now I had mentioned about faith and it being measurable. I want you to notice something. Go to uh, Romans chapter 10 with me. Romans chapter 10. And I want you to look with me here, something about faith, about believing and saying, because we're looking again at the power of saying saying the right words. How do we release that? How do we keep it active? And it's not just the beginning when we pray and believe that we receive, but until we see the fullness of the manifestation of something, we need to hold fast to what we initially said. So the whole process, because many times we don't have an instantaneous result. We do not have an instantaneous reflection of what we confess. We're calling something that is not as though it was already. But yet we don't physically have it. We don't feel a difference. We don't sense a difference. But again, what are we doing in the faith life? We're acting like God acts. We're acting upon the spiritual law that he set into place. It's called the law of faith. And the law of faith, and faith meaning faith in God, not just a natural faith that we would have in like a four-legged chair that was built properly, that we know that was created to sustain the weight of our body, where we just take it for granted that if we sit down in that chair, it's going to automatically hold us up. Well, We're talking about the invisible hand of the law of faith that works supernaturally. That spiritual law that's also in place that will withstand and hold us up whatever is coming against our physical body or against our life. Now, in Romans chapter 10, I want you to see here that Paul said here that In verse 1, he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So what is he saying here? That Israel, Jewish people, need to be saved. He goes on to say, verse 2, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. In other words, and the same thing's true for us today, we can have zeal, But if we don't have God's knowledge about it, that zeal will not profit us. Okay? It says, verse 3, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith, now how does this righteousness of faith come to our lives? By faith in Jesus Christ, by acknowledging and receiving, right? And the only way we can acknowledge is to have information. We acknowledge the righteousness of God, which is of faith, which comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ, speaketh on this wise. Notice that, speaketh on this wise. Or in other words, in this way, say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, 
and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Okay? What do we notice here? That the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. So where does the word need to be? In our mouth and in our heart. But where does it need to be as we receive it as far as the will of God? We don't just start speaking the word of God just to put it in our mouth and just end it there. That could be a starting place, but it's not a stopping place. As I said earlier, you can school yourself into faith. And the way you do that, yes, you could just start saying, I believe that I received my healing. But it's when it registers on your heart. When you get it in your heart and say it with your mouth, that's when it's going to produce the fullness of the intended results. Okay? So it needs to be both in our mouth and in our heart. But notice what he says here. Verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Okay? For even as the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I want you to notice what we're about to read, particularly about this. How are we going to call upon the name of the Lord? How are we going to call on him of whom we've not believed? Well, let's back up. What does the verse go on to say? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So you see, he's working backwards here. Okay, so it's how are you going to call or how are you going to say words and believe unless you hear something first? And how are you going to hear? Well, you hear from a preacher, and he goes on to say here, verse 15, and how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them which preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report. So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word uh, of God. So how does faith come? By hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Okay? So, how do we know God's will? By hearing the word. Right? That's how we get salvation. Same thing for healing. Same thing for prosperity. All of these things together. Now, hold your place there and skip over to chapter 12. And I want you to notice verse 3 here. Now, Paul did not write this in chapter and verse. But I want to look at verse 3 here in Romans 12 to see this is dovetailing together, talking about faith, talking about how we're going to know about salvation, how we're going to know about healing, and about the measurableness of faith. We're going to go back to chapter 10 in just a moment. But look at verse 3 here, Romans 12. And it says here, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, who was every man among Paul as he's writing to the church at Rome. He's writing to believers. So he's writing to people that have already been born again. All right? So he says here, I say through the grace given unto me to every man that's among you, to every Christian, to every believer, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. So let's go back, hold that in, hold that in your mind. The measure of faith. How does God deal the measure of faith? And what measure is that that's been measured out to us? Well, go back to chapter 10 and you'll see this. What measure did God measure to you? What measure of faith? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What measure of faith do I have? 
the measure that you have, the measure that I have, the measure that anyone has about God and what he has promised, that measure is based on what we've heard about what God said. You see that now as we look back here at chapter 10, where it says here, the first few verses, Paul's talking about the nation of Israel and how they need, his heart desire was that they'd be saved. They have to be born again, just like you and I. They have to be made new, become a new creature in Christ Jesus by being born again, right? Well, when you read here, it talks about if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And then again, as we read a few moments ago, Paul works backward there. How are we going to believe in whom have they not heard? And how are they going to believe without hearing from a preacher? So in other words, we hear from a preacher or from the word of God, the will of God. We, what we hear brings us to faith in that measure based on what we heard. So how would all Israel be saved? How would they be saved? Paul spoke out based on what they believed. Because why? He said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, you have to hear that the Lord's desire is to save you before you have faith to be saved. Right? Well, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be healed. Now, how will they call upon the name of the Lord to receive their healing if they don't, first of all, heal, hear about his healing provision? They won't. So here, back to the point I brought out a few moments ago. If God has dealt to you the measure of faith, let's look at salvation, first of all. How did you get saved? Exactly what the Bible says here. How did the children of Israel get a measure of faith to be saved? Because Paul's prayer was that all Israel would be saved. Well, why would Paul have such a desire if it wasn't God's will in the first place? Paul was speaking forth by the Holy Ghost, the will of God. So once you hear or heard about God's will to save you, you could act upon that because you had the measure of faith in regard to salvation. Are you with me? So once you have that measure of faith to obtain salvation, it's up to you to receive it, believe it, take it in childlike faith, and then say it with your mouth, even as the scripture says there, as we read there in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. But it starts in believing something, and that believing goes back to what have we heard about God? What have we heard about his will? Amen. So praise God. So when it comes to healing, when it comes to prosperity, and as I said a moment ago about salvation, you have the measure of faith to begin to activate it at the point you hear about God's will. Now, how is your faith going to grow? It's going to grow by you constantly feeding it on God's word and exercising it. Now, are you going to exercise God's word when it comes to healing? You're going to start speaking the healing power of God over your body. You're going to start speaking the prosperity of God over your life, over your finances, over your job, over your business, right? You're going to do what? You're speaking what you believe. What is your belief ba- believing based on? What you've heard. What did you hear? It's God's will to do that. It's God's will to meet your need. It's God's will to prosper you. It's God's will that you have more than enough. It's God's will to heal your body. It's God's will to answer your prayer when it's prayed on the basis of the known will of God in the name of Jesus. He wants to ask, he wants to answer your prayer. Praise God. So these are exciting things, my brothers and sisters, that as we learn and discover that we can grow in the faith life and faith does not grow unless it continually feeds on God's word and is exercised 
Okay? Now, hold your place and go over to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, and I want you to read in chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul writing in this second epistle to the church at Thessalonica, he says in verse 3, he says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Now, this is very important here in this passage to understand because it's a precept that's true about faith. What did he talk about here in verse 3? That your faith grows exceedingly and the charity of every one of you, which is love and action, aboundeth towards each other. Okay, so in other words, their love walk was growing and their faith in God was growing. How do these two grow? Well, they work together, first of all. Your faith is not going to outpace your love walk. That's why we have talked repeatedly about how important it is to not have an air of unforgiveness about you, to hold grudges towards people, but to keep your heart right before the Lord by decision saying, Lord, I release them, I forgive them, right? Whether or not they ever ask for forgiveness or desire forgiveness, if their behavior does not change towards you, you can guard your own heart out of which go and flow the issues of life. You have to guard it. You're the custodian over that. But your faith, because a lot of times people talk about how I've got big, great faith in God, but their love walk is in shambles. Well, one thing about it is, is if you're around other believers, and sometimes believers, because they're at various levels and stages of spiritual growth, they don't always behave the way they should. But no matter what, when you're around them, it's important to always guard your heart and keep an attitude of forgiveness about you not hold grudges, not hold unforgiveness, not be bitter towards people. And this is particularly true as it relates. It, it's true about the people we have to face in everyday life in the world, but it's especially true in church life when you're around other Christians, because one of the things that the devil tries to do is cause offense and betrayal and cause all kinds of problems, believer against believer, and set those things, those people against one another. So you really have to pay attention to that, especially in these last days. Because Jesus told us in Matthew 24, in the last days, that the love of many is going to wax cold. In other words, it's going to grow cold. So we have to do as what Peter said, love the brethren fervently with a pure heart, and guard that very, very carefully, because if we don't, our faith is going to grow shrivel. Our faith will not work. Your faith will not work as it should when there's an air of unforgiveness about you. It'll stymie your faith. It'll cause it to, you, you hold grudges towards people. You got to let that stuff go. You, and how do you do that? By feeling? Because you're not upset about it? Because when you don't not even the little bit, least bit hostile or angry about somebody anymore. No, you do it by decision and by holding fast to your decision. Even when it doesn't feel right, even when it doesn't seem like it's helping you, even when it seems like you're getting more upset all the time at so-and-so, you have to let it go. You have to let it go. That is, if you want to grow in faith, be strong in faith, and see what Paul was talking about here, an exceedingly growing faith. Amen? Now, this is so beautiful here because it tells us several things in these two verses of Scripture. First of all, our exceedingly growing faith will never exceedingly grow. Our faith will never exceedingly grow and outpace our love walk that we have towards the brothers, right? Very important to see that. But secondly here, it must face resistance. It must face an opposing force 
to develop and grow. Notice what Paul says here in verse 4. He says, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches. Why was Paul growing? In other words, he was praising them. He was commending them. Why? Because of your patience and faith in all your tribulations, persecutions and tribulations that you endure. So where were these coming from? Well, they were coming from the world, right? They were coming from the exterior in their life. They were faced every day with all kinds of things. As what Jesus said there when he was talking about the parable of the sower, he talked about the word being rooted up because of persecution arising for the word's sake. So the devil's going to do his utmost to try to take the seed of faith what you believe about God out of you or render it inactive or keep it paralyzed, not working. And how's he going to do that? Well, he's going to endeavor to attack the faithfulness of God. He's going to try a lot of different things and he'll try what's worked on you beforehand, mind you. And you have to pay attention to that. Where, where did you make a blunder in the past? Where did you fall short in the times past where you said, Lord, forgive me? Well, the devil will, because he knows that, he'll go back and try to get you to enter into the same pitfall that he used before or previously to get you sidelined. Many times that happens to me with people's love walks because they start getting frustrated with people. That's why you got to be careful how much of the news you watch. Be careful how much, because if you allow that, uh, you consume the news, too much of the wrong news, it'll eventually consume you and it'll stymie the plan of God in your life. So here Paul's saying, it's, how did their faith grow exceedingly? How did it, the charity of every one of them continue to abound one towards each other? In other words, they walked in love towards one another. I mean, we expect people from the world to treat us wrong, but you don't expect a brother or sister in Christ to do you wrong, right? None of us would. But Again, people are at various levels of growth, and a lot of times that's where people uh, come up short in Christians is they don't pay attention to their love walk, how their love and action towards other believers is. So I bring that out uh, to pay attention to that. Pay attention, close attention to that, because your faith is not going to grow. That measure of faith is not going to increase unless it comes against resistance. So in other words, you're going to have tests. The devil's going to see to it that your faith is going to be tested. Your charity towards other people is going to be tested. So every day, wake up saying, you know what? Lord, by your grace, I'm empowered to pass every test that comes my way. Because we all understand what happens. We don't pass the test. Guess what happens? Even if we go back to school, uh, in the natural, if we don't pass a test or if we don't pass a grade, guess what? We get to take it over again. And the children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness, which was about 11 days journey, it took them 40 years because so much of Egypt was still in them, even though God was providing for them in every area of their needed life, they still had an Egypt mentality a woe is me, a complaining, go back. Well, when your faith is under siege, your love walk is under siege, when a test or trial comes your way, persecution for the word's sake, know this, that you've got the grace of God in your life to be able to withstand and overcome and pass every test. Praise God, so that you don't have to repeat it again. And praise God, that's how your faith grows. That's how your faith grows. That's how my faith grows. And that's awesome because in the days we're living in, we need to have an increasing, a growing every day, more and more faith life in God, trusting him because what's coming down in the world and what's fixing to happen, we shouldn't be afraid of it, but we should understand that in these last days, the devil's trying his utmost to get believers sidetracked out of the plan of God, out of the purposes of God, and thwart the believer from running to the fullest extent the race that they've been called to run. 
So we need to be wise about that. Be sober, be vigilant. And when we encounter the devil, trials, tribulation, persecutions, let it be found in us, the continued belief, standing on the rock of Gibraltar, that we say what God said and understand that the power of saying is significant in our lives. And it's going to take us more and more in a fuller extent into the promised land, whether it's healing, whether it's prosperity, whether it's an answered prayer. Remember this, God is on our side and we have a significant opportunity, the greatest ability to change our life by changing what we say and holding fast to what God said about us. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. You have that. You have the greater one on the inside of you. And there's nothing, no devil, nobody can stop you from receiving what God said was legally yours. Praise his holy name. Father, we thank you tonight for this time together. We thank you for the opportunity we have as we study your word to realize with greater and greater insight what you've given to us. You've given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And that, Lord, we've been made a partaker of the divine nature. And that, Lord God, we can behave as Christians, act like you called us to act, because we have a new nature. We have a new ability. We have a new Savior. And now there's nothing that can be withheld from us once we get informed and start with corresponding action, releasing what we believe based on God's word, we can have what God said we can have by releasing his will through what we believe and the power of saying. We thank you for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.